Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast, episode number 128. The Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast is two blokes that have known each other forever who catch up most days in the Melbourne CBD for lunch to talk everything Essendon Footy Club. My name is Grant and with me is Scotty. Hello everyone, uh, good to be back. Uh, look, uh, first and foremost, a huge day yesterday with our live event. Uh, Massive day. It was, I, uh, yeah, I, I'll rest well this week. <laughs> um, yeah, there was there was a lot of work put into that on the lead up, right? A <laughs> lot, a lot of work. And we were absolutely ecstatic with um, everybody that turned up. Um, the, the crowd that we had was great. They were noisy um, and... We'd, we had some, a small issue at the beginning of the uh, of the streaming of the game, but we won't talk about that. Um, but yeah, it was a massive day, and we absolutely loved every minute of it. Yeah, I think I think next time I look, no doubt the first fifteen minutes was frustrating for all, especially us. Um, there's <laughs> believe, no believe us, it was us. Yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt we will probably look towards more of a live TV event. Like, obviously, with the cinema screen, we had to go through KO; it had to be streamed and. Yes, we eventually found a good connection that played the whole game, but we don't want to miss the first 15 minutes of a game at any time. No, no so. we don't. No, no. So we're definitely going to go to a TV big screen uh, yeah. next time where yep. it's just Foxtel, you know what's playing, it's all good, there's no no chance of buffering. So uh, that that will be next time. Um, who knows when the next live event will be. We'll work it out. So, yeah, absolutely. But look, one thing's for sure is uh, me and Grant, we said this sincerely at the end of the game, we have the nicest fans in history because everyone was so gracious. Everyone was so kind. Uh, and it just felt like a really fun spirit throughout the whole day. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, Dustin Fletcher was absolutely amazing. So uh, big, big thanks to Dustin. Big thanks to uh, Welcome to Thornbury. Uh, you know, and even despite their little troubles they did they worked overtime to try and quickly fix it found our solution so that was that was great and it's not lost on us that that play that event would not have taken place at all ever if it wasn't for the guys um scott and tony and the rest of that team at um welcome to the thornbury they were brilliant the the whole day went off brilliantly it was not their fault the buffering thing was not their fault we had tested that four million times (laughs) tony got in there well before anybody arrived well before we arrived even during the week even during the week ran the thing for hours and hours and hours without a single buffering and it, it wasn't anything to do with everybody else's internet connections it was just it was a technical issue is exactly what it was so we apologize for that but um a massive thank you to um to scott and tony and all of the team at the uh, welcome to the so look, uh, obviously there we're there to see SNGWS and before the game, I, I mean, I even mentioned that, um, uh, you know, I think we can take it right up to GWS if we're playing our standard uh, footy that we have lately and, and that's kind of what happened. But boy, um, three games now we've lost by under three points. Oh, uh, gee, you, you flip that and be five wins and it's a completely yeah. different season. Going. And respectable losses are starting to get on my nerves. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah no, I, don't, I think I think Essendon fans are going to grow old of the word honourable loss. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, we'll talk about it maybe a little bit later on, but Fremantle at home and North Melbourne, uh, and I tweeted out this morning, I don't think the honourable loss will cut it this time. No, I, no, no, no. This no, is this no. is like we need to we need to go out and get some wins because I think we're talented enough to beat these teams. So yeah, uh, so it's time to now put the foot down uh, and get over the line and get some wins. Especially because we've we've got a base now of uh, and you've you've heard me say this before. I need one more game to figure it out what we are as a club. I need one more game. I need one more game. 
look, I'm, I stand now understanding what Truck's trying to do. I can see a consistency in the way we move the ball, the way we play on a football field. Um, our defence is um, is set. We're not we're not moving players left and right. We're not trying to overreact to things. I can see what the club's doing now. And now with Nick Cox getting a few games under his belt, um, uh, the percolator finally getting number one goal out of the <laughs> yeah. way with. Um, yeah, look, those two guys, Frio in, uh, in Melbourne, we should win. Um, and North are just a massive um, disaster at the minute. So we should get over the line. And that, that's why I'm saying these, these, I agree with what you're saying, these next two games, really important that we make a statement. We put them away like we should. Yeah, I mean, no doubt in my mind, Frio's the harder of the two because Frio's obviously well above us, won three or four games. And I think they've won three in a row and playing really well. So that's, you know, I say that that's not going to be an easy win. I do grant it that no. they're, they're playing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just think we have enough talent to also win the game. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, when you play GWS, who are really in good form and you only lose by two, uh, then you're playing some good footy. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. And, and, uh, it's really coming down, you know, the, the Carlton and GWS game, oh, the stats are so almost identical. With two games in a row, we've had more than 60 inside 50s and lost the game. And that's very, very rare. Yeah, yeah. So it, there's there's a couple of things that are happening is the connection to the midfield, to the forwards are not always there uh, or or the skill level and turnovers are killing us. And I think it's a bit of both. I think, I think we... Just for both games, it had just moments of bad habits, uh, old bad habits. Uh, and it's, it, is, it is some good moments as well, but there's no doubt our entries into the forward 50, uh, when you have 61 forward in 50s, forward inside 50s, then you've got you to have some more scoring opportunities. Uh, but gee, the, the turnovers again, just at crucial times. It wasn't like I had a look at the stats. It's not like, like we had a major amount of turnovers. Um, I think the you know the most someone had was six, which is probably about four or five guys, mostly around the midfield. Um, but it's just crucial times. There was, you know, and that's the important part. Yeah, like you, you can turn the ball over in your own uh, over in your own forward line, and it won't happen. It won't be as big of a problem as if you're you turn it over at their half forward line. That, and yeah. that's where it, where Our turnovers it turns lead the to their goal. That's that, exactly that's, it. You know, there's one in the third quarter when we had all the play. Um, we were coming back, we were, you know, we were four or five goals down. And this sort of happened three, four, three, four times in this game. I felt like we were four or five goals down. We got it back to close to even again and great resilience. But gee, every time we got, we wanted to just get, take the next step. We just had a massive miss kick. They go down and get a goal and then suddenly they kick three or four goals and we had to work our way to be resilient again and try and crawl back again. Credit to them. I mean, it's a huge credit. No one lowered their head the whole game. No. To the finals, literally to the final second. Yep. They just kept trying to and, – and that's the spirit of the group and that's the – it is the part that everyone can see, and I don't. Th- I think that's why we're all not going hammer and tong on. On um, besides being two and six, we're not. I think everyone's seeing the obvious. You're seeing, you're seeing Harry Jones get beat in the first half. Then you're seeing Harry Jones in the last quarter kick two goals, take three or four big marks, and saying, "No, I'm going to compete to the final siren." I know I'm getting beaten. No dropping of head. No dropping of head. You see Cox kick a goal. You see Perkins kick a goal. Um, you, you're seeing Parrish taking the next step up. 
Um, and, and you're seeing really good things throughout the game. It's just, it's just crazy that, you know, uh, we score 105 points, which normally actually gets you a win. That, that'll get you a win. Another 26 shots on goal, and it's happened every week. Yeah. Where, where there's so many things going right, we just cannot get I know. the W. And that last week we we fell into some bad habits. A lot of the, a lot of bombing into the, not a lot, but some bombing into the forward line, kicking across the body, kind of turnover mistakes and the like. But this week was. We we still turned the ball over with with uncontested yeah uncontested and that's not the right word I don't think but uncontested errors unforced errors Un, like yeah, in yeah. tennis like in tennis unforced errors like you you got no one around you you're trying to spot someone up like 25, 30 meters away and you literally kick it down the throat or you're running towards the forward line someone's leading out there's a player in front of them you got to get it up over that player and you literally kick it into their nose. Yeah, and turn the ball over. Now it's an interesting thing. I'm just looking at the AFL um, app at the minute, right? If you scroll down, go into the team section, scroll down. And, <coughs> excuse me. Have a look at the turnovers for the Dons. Now in the first quarter, you can see where we're turning the ball off, uh, turning the ball over. We're turning the ball over at the half forward line or the half back line um, in in both cases because it's not at both ends of the ground. It's at the same end of the ground, right? Yeah, yeah. So. When that was, we're turning the ball over in really dangerous areas. Quarter two, exactly the same. Um, on the wing towards centre half forward. Quarter three is when we started to come back and started to do good things. Then we started to turn the ball over in the middle. There was less mistakes made in mm. the forwards in that. And then the Q4, same deal. We, we improved significantly and stopped turning the ball over um, in dangerous areas. So that's, I think, again, this is a... This is one where Truck and the team will look at it and go, yep, we know. We know what this one was. Yeah. It's not a mystery to us. It's not – we weren't outworked. Absolutely, we're not outworked. We weren't out-efforted. Um, but it was just the silly mistakes. Yeah. And, and look, uh, can I be a little bit more serious? And this is what I've been thinking about. The thing that Essendon's got a slight issue with is the the mistakes are often coming – from guys 24 to 27 years of age. Yes. And so, yeah. so, and these are the guys you want to win a premiership. So there needs to be a bit of, the, there has to be something addressed with their skills and a bit of skill work because uh, they have to go to another level for us to be, for the whole club to go to another level. And I still think, and I've said this before, I've always felt like we needed to draft a with a massive focus on using the ball. Skill. Now, yeah. I think we did because I think Reed is very good and I think Perkins is going to be very good and, and I think Cox is very good. So I think we have in some ways, but I genuinely think it's another draft of doing it again, of trying yeah. to find really good ball users, good ball decision, sorry, decision-making ability. Uh, and that's if we can just continue to increase that skill level mm-hmm. uh, because I think still feel like our game plan requires a certain amount of skill. Uh, oh, we're very to, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I'd agree with that. The 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 handballing and the movement of the ball and the yeah. quick, um, if it's not a quick handball to someone running past you, it's a quick kick to somebody's advantage, and it a lot of it's pinpoint. I mean, Aaron Francis, he's he's still which I love. He still will try and pinpoint a bloke <laughs> with a dagger of a pass that went thirty five to forty meters. That sort of stuff takes a lot of skill and it takes a lot of skill to do regularly. Mm. Um, but, I mean, that's the thing with this year's draft. You, 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 Langford and Parrish and Francis and 
um, they're kind, and these guys that we've got in, along with the kids, the, the Cox and those kind of guys. Parrish is not the greatest by foot. Everybody knows that, right? But Improving. I, improving I mean, a, a hell of a lot. The more he touches the ball, the more I like it. And Darcy Parrish for mine is now in the first rotation for mine. I, I He's not oh, in the yeah. second rotation the midfield he's, anymore. Yeah, top two at the moment. He's He should be in the first. It should be Zach Merritt followed very closely by Darcy Parrish, right? Mm. Um, but this year's draft again is, and the big red fire engine in Dodoro has said, last year's was tolls, and that's clearly evident um, that all the tolls got drafted. This year is apparently a mid-draft um, and a real skillful mid-draft. Yeah, so, and that's that's where you want to target, don't you? So Absolutely. Um, yeah, so look... A lot's going right, uh, and that's it's it's very weird. It's the weirdest two and six side to I say that ever. after we lose. I mean, yeah, I mean that's been the commentary. You know, yeah, I've seen Rowan Connolly, I've seen the other guy. I'm saying a lot of things going right. It's, it feels definitely like things are going well, but just you know, it's like I said, the whole season turns on its head if we win those three close games. Like, yeah, <laughs> if we win two out of the three, yeah, the whole season turns around. Yeah, if we have four wins and going into Fremount at home in North Melbourne, you're like, well, we could be happy six days, wins. baby. Yeah, yeah, happy days. Yeah, and we're in the eight, and you know, and so I, I think it's, the club. It's is... not far away. It's we may be fourth last, but the actual difference between us being fourth last and eighth in a weird way is so small. It's just a so small fraction. If you watch Truck's interview um, after the game, he did it like on Zoom or whatever it was, um, and you could see Truck's face was. Flat. He was straight. Yeah. He wanted to win that game of footy. The man wants to win games of footy, right? He's yeah. he's he realizes this honorable loss stuff, this working it out to the last minute but still losing thing by less than three points. It's it's got hair on it, right? You've yeah. dropped it, you've picked it up, and it's got hair all over it. But mm-hmm. you can also know that a guy that's intelligent like he is and a football brain and the rest of the footy brains around him will go, truck mate, where we are a hair's breadth, like a poofteenth away mm. from being just over the other side of the equation. <laughs> yeah, I know. Where we've won two out of the last three or something interstate games. And everybody will say, we'll be le- uh, heralding the club for being an incredible road trip team and all this sort of stuff. So it's not, it's a situation where you go, Adam, please don't. And I bet you the word, um, Honourable loss would be banned at Essendon. No one would be saying it, right? No, it was definitely when you read Zach Merritt's article, you felt like he's not interested. No, I, he, I don't, he wants I don't want to hear about it. He yeah. wants success. And I think he had, and that article was interesting because I think he understands where the club's going and he's feeling hopeful. But I think at some point, and that's why the next two weeks, it's really important. They've got to get some wins just to – because you want to keep building. If you, if you keep losing – that spirit is no matter who you are, yeah. it's going to die. Like Over twenty two games, it's going to die. It's going to it's going to be a very rough second half of the year yep. when when you're not playing for any competition. You know, for I guess a, a final spot. So you want to you want to get some wins just to get some competition going. Um, so and this this is it because I mean, truck will. I have no doubt the truck will be challenging the players. And it's an eight day break too coming yeah. in. So an eight day break going to Fremantle. So. You, you know, I know at it, home. It's been a. I mean, it's been a wretched draw. Four. Yeah, it has. No one's played four interstate games. Any yeah. <laughs> any other kids who've never done it before. You've no, got four games. Yeah, it's 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 not good. But and and if truck, you can be sympathetic to a point yeah. with these players, and then you got to look at them like professional athletes and say, 
I'm sorry. It's not acceptable though. You're this close. You are this close, but you're not on the right side of this close, right? So Fremantle over here, it's a tough task for Frio, but they if we can do that to GWS at GWS, we definitely should beat Fremantle in Melbourne, right? And then after that, North Melbourne, me and, me and Scott back in the day could beat North Melbourne at the moment. Um, so uh, there's two wins. Thanks very much. Put them in the ledger. And then what does the middle of the season start to look like? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you, you probably go to Perth after that, I think. Yep. Um, and then, you I mean, you're kind of telling the guys, all right, we've got – We've got around about 10 weeks, guys, with only at one. Home. With you know, Yeah, I think you have about nine straight at yep. home in Melbourne, either the G or Marvel. Yep, beautiful. Uh, or I think there's maybe one Geelong. But um, you've got to, you know, all right, we're all settled at home. You, the, the routine's the same. Yep. Um, and the schedule's a little bit easier, by the way. Um, so it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. You, you, I think this, I really want this team to keep building because I, it feels like, you know, it feels like, uh, that kind of 93 vibe a little bit. Yeah, get a touch. Get yeah. a touch of it. So yeah. that kind of pre, pre the st- maybe it's like the 92 kind of VFL team yeah. that was going well. And then Because they- the commentators are saying it too, man. Like you listen to every commentator, and not that you should put your life's <laughs> thought into commentators because they can be as wrong as the rest of us, right? But they're all saying exactly the same thing. They're saying it's another loss for the Bombers and we've won – one more game than Collingwood so far, right? Yeah. But everybody's looking um, at it. We going, haven't anymore. They won last night. Oh, so. they won last night. So there you go, right? So Collingwood and us, same deal, right? Um, so, but they're saying there's something different at Essendon going on. There's everything. All of the KPIs are heading in the right direction, and. I mean, that's what it is. You, every game, you read in the stats, and you go, the stats look really good. Yeah, they look the really good. The inside 50s we look good. The tackle count looks good. didn't get over the bloody line. <laughs> we just can't get over. And you know what? I, I felt like for the first time, the defense was very vulnerable yesterday. I, every time Judo West kicked it in high, yeah. I was almost expecting one of them to mark it. I'm, uh, not, I'm not sure what went on there. That, yeah. some, of the, some of those big bombing in kicks that – that's just defenders should eat. Yeah. Um, and there was just, a lot of swinging arms. It just felt like they were a little bit shaky or just, but um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know what, but I just felt like every time GWS in, went inside their 50, I felt like they were going to score. And we, was, yeah, I agree. We we had the tools to be up in the air with, with their blokes. Like that Finlayson is abnormally athletic for a dude that size. Right. But mm. um, yeah, I thought, the, the defence in the air yesterday was not real special, which is weird because we've got the blokes to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, they had the little moments. Laverde obviously was playing pretty well, and I thought Francis was... Done. I thought Francis... Excuse my hiccup. I thought yeah. Francis was um pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, Stuart was a little bit out of it, I must admit. And yeah. he's, still, he's still coming together with uh, after his injury. But, yeah, it's just... Uh, I felt like we were a little bit shaky in the yeah. uh, under the high ball. Yep. So, look, what we'll do, we'll just cover a few plays after the break uh, and just go through. We're not going to go through the whole list, but we'll just go through some um, uh, what we thought were the standouts.
Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. Now then, um, just going into some players, Scotty. The obvious ones at the top of the list, um, Zach Merritt and Darcy Parrish. Zach, 37, that's a hell of a day out. That is a big day out. And he was targeted a number of times. Big time. There's a, a few people that uh, that um, I hope a lot of black cats walk past and stuff this week, the, the dirty buggers in GWS, who went after that bloke. Yes. Like I understand if you're in if you're in contests and stuff and he gets genuinely um, bumped, but they went after him off the ball, yeah, which well, is the, crap. There was a, a Mumford play where it was really dirty. He put his knee, uh, yeah. and it was. Yeah, I actually found it almost worse than the, the hit it hit to the head because it was, it, it was a really uh, premeditated kind of known dog act. Um, yeah. and, and you know, sometimes I feel like I wish the guys. It may maybe they don't see it, uh, but we can see it on the camera, but. Um, thing is, you retaliate, you get four weeks or hard. something like that, right? It was hard. Yeah, you get you get a fifty away from you, and yeah, you and you'll be screwed. And it's a Mum, Shane game. Mumford's a hack. He's been a hack. He's always been a hack. He's just out there to throw elbows and move his enormous bloody stegosaurus self around the joint. He's dirty. He's like Toby Green. He's a grub. He's dirty. He's a grub, and he just he lean. I understand, man. If you're that big, you can lean on people. Use your 100-plus kilos, absolutely, right? Push people out of the way, lean on people, crash packs, but don't fall on top of bloody players with your knees up and stuff just to be a complete a-hole. So don't, yeah, he, he should hang his head in shame um, for going after Merritt. But 37 possessions, 70% um, efficiency, which is good. Um, he was great. His man was everywhere. Um, Darcy Parrish, straight behind him, 35 possessions, 74% um, efficiency. Darcy's just progressing. Like, this is Darcy's year, big time. No, he's, um, really, he's really coming on. Like, really coming on, mate. He, he's Zach Merritt's our number one midfielder. Darcy Parrish is right behind him at the moment. So, I mean, I guess a couple of players we wanted to highlight. Who's your, who's one of your players to highlight? Do you, do you know what? One of mine is probably at the bottom of the list, close to the bottom of the list, and that's because he got subbed on halfway through the third quarter. Yeah. But if Matt Guelphie, that was one nuts. That was that's for me is probably the best sub I've seen out of any team this year. I Big mean, time, yeah. Kicks a goal. He led the whole he led the, the Essendon side in tackles. In a quarter and a half. In a quarter and a half. I mean, he just went crazy <laughs> on pressure. Uh, yeah, it's just he was second overall in the whole between the both sides in tackle. So wow. just a full credit to him. Uh, I mean, because <laughs> you would have gone, oh, gee, we lost a stringer was big, but he's come on, kicked a goal, and done everything stringer. Massive with. pressure acts, yeah. And it's just yeah, it was it was such an inspiring actually kind of sub. Um, he's really, I mean, Matt Guelfi tends to come in when we need a player to play well yeah, and we use him and he comes in and he plays well. But then when someone like Jimmy Stewart comes back in, maybe sometimes Guelph could get squeezed out of that back line. Um, but we are lucky to have that kid because he's very, very keen to play AFL football. And he played like he played up the ground. Like he was not even playing in a position that he's been playing for a while. But yeah. so everything about it, uh, I thought it was, you know, you would all. He was he was that good. He was close to getting a vote. vote yeah, man because, seriously. I mean, there's he was big part of the reason that massive comeback in the last quarter was happening. He Absolutely. Just, so he was he was pretty inspirational. And look, the only other guy. I mean, there's plenty of other guys. I thought Nick Hind up half back. 
Yeah. Really generated massive a lot of find, run. 29, find. 29 uh, possessions, uh, so 80, around about 80% efficiency. He's, he's done really, really well. Another unassuming bloke who's just, he he knows when to hit the afterburners. He, and again, a bit like sometimes when Sadi was there, some, Sadi would try and like out-sprint Usain Bolton, sometimes would get caught, right? And but you don't mind that. Some, and Hindy will just, he's got a level of confidence now, which I bet you have been given to him by the club, to say, mate, you're down there to run. You're down there to run. And on top of that, he makes good decisions. It looks like he's been around for ages because he has. Um, massive fan of Nick Hind. My guy, um, I want to call out Kyle Langford. Mm-hmm. Kyle Langford, we are a fan of that bloke on this podcast. We have been since day one. We have been since he was just in out one in one week, gets 22 possessions and then out for three weeks. And uh, Langford got 20 touches, importantly, nine marks, right? Importantly, nine marks coming out of uh, – a lot of them were coming out of um, the Giants forward line. And on that wing to centre-half forward, he was yeah. taking marks and kicking inside 50. So Langers, everybody keeps – look. I don't know why people have in their brain that – Kyle Langford is the big-bodied mid that Essendon supposedly need, right? He's not being played there. Like, but he did for a while in a, for a couple of seasons under well, Wusher, but he's not that guy anymore. They're playing him on a wing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the, the argument probably with Kyle Langford will be um, that that he's hardly played four this year, but they decided to with Stringer went down. They decided to put him up forward yeah. for the second half. He's kicked three goals. Entirely capable, and that's, man. That's that's the argument that you could make, honestly, is to say, is he better serviced as actually a forward? Yeah, uh, and because he, he's he's a great kick for goal, um, and he's very dangerous in the air. Like, yeah. He's a really good mark. And he's, he's second, he's second in the side in marks. Yeah. So in total marks this year, so. He's doing absolutely fine. And um, the marking option coming out of the back line for him, you don't have to just kick it to Andy Phillips or um, they keep bombing it on Waller's head, um, but the, you don't have to kick it to the Ruckman. You've got an option where Kyle can slide off and he's a great mark and he's been yep. taking them. Um, he does – look, uh, I do have to say he just does have to clean up a little bit his midfield chip kick possessions that are sometimes are turnovers. Yeah. And, and I'm just being fair. Like yeah, I, yeah, that's fine. I've got to do an all-round uh, analysis. Uh, he had a crucial one in the third quarter, which I probably mentioned at the start of the show, but yeah. it was Kyle Langford. And, and you know, it turned around and kicked a goal when we had the momentum. Yeah, but but uh, never never forget, I mean, those 20 possessions, which is great, um, nine marks, 80% efficiency. I know, right? I know. I'm just saying. Yeah. Just and, but, and, but this is the thing with professional AFL football, mate. One mistake like that, can really hurt. Yeah, yeah. You can, you, and it, and it's what's remembered, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, probably the Hep's the same, right? He's, he's, yeah. he's. I mean, Hep's. Hep's he's had a really good game. Hep's. Twenty-seven touches, if you don't mind. Eighty-five uh, percent efficiency. Eighty-five, and then he he kicks it straight down the throat of some people, and that's all and we like, remember. And you know, it, it's strange because even on social media, they've gone straight after him again, saying, "That's it. I've had it with Hep." Yeah, no, and I, I, I'm not. I am like I swear I will debate anybody on any show at any time Dyson Heppel's effectiveness across halfback for this club. It's a position he's never played. He's getting No, ev- no, sorry. He he played the whole year there. He's rookie year. We've got to say that. Across well sorry, okay. 
He's he, he won, he, yeah, he won. He played that fine. He, he's played there before. Okay, fine. But I mean, guess we're we're starting to. It's a newish position for him. He's after learning, about nine or ten years. After yeah, about sure. nine or ten years, right? So um, I'll debate anybody on his effectiveness back there because this one mistake, two mistake, in the back line of an AFL club, it's it's absolutely yeah. worth um, him being down there. Can you clean up those mistakes? Yeah, please. It'd be great, right? Yeah, and it's, and there are they're genuine. They're mistakes. They he, are. He's untidy sometimes with foot, and it, yep. it, and he's it's he's the kind of guy that he can have eighty percent efficiency, but that twenty percent is a real killer. Are uh, direct turnovers <laughs> yeah, down direct. the throat of the opposition? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But there's also the moments half forward, about sixty yards out, he's running back on the flight and ball. We know he's going to get crunched, and he does get crunched, uh, and and. The guys also see that part of him as well. That Absolutely. He, he's the one that threw his body in, knowing he's going to get crunched. And so, I, I'm not as, I'm just not as down on on Heps at all as no other way, people. Man. I no way, man. I'm not sure, especially when people call for his captaincy. Like, I, his captaincy because he made a mistake by foot. Like, it's just it's silliness. At some point, you've got to back the players. They're the ones who nominate him. Exactly right. Again, like overwhelmingly. Yes, and, and it's obvious. Like you, I. I've talked to people at the club. They they really they don't consider anyone. I was just going to say. It's, yeah, I was just going to say. It's, it's not an option it's, for anybody yeah, else. Yeah, it's it's obvious. Yeah. So it's you've got to back who who the people he's meant to be mentoring. I've got another one that I want to mention who doesn't get a particularly massive mention every week. Um, Will Snelling. Oh, yeah, he's having a good Will year. Snelling, mate. Two yeah. goals, 94% efficiency. I saw a little bloke, right, against GWS, and he is a little bloke. I saw a lightning fast, like Tony Bahaja kind of, <laughs> mate, real fast kind of liber arrangement about him in that he was quick. He darted here. He darted there. His hands were good. Um, he was kicking ball. Like, he had a couple of goal assists. He kicked two himself. Will Snelling, mate, doesn't get... He's never going to get you 37 possessions and stand on top of the, the stat chart. But um, Will's got, what, 19? 94% efficiency, two goals. That's a game of football for Will. Well, it's a, for a forward pockety kind of view... That's that's perfect, man. More than fine. So. And he's been doing it week after week after week. Yeah, he's he's been. I I actually, uh, this for me has been his best year. So yeah, oh, hundred percent agree. Yeah. Um, I I, I do want to call out, um, and he hasn't like lit up the stat sheet, but the last two weeks, Archie Perkins has just shown me. Everybody have a watch. Yeah, have yeah. a watch of those two games. He's just shown me in his movement. What this player is going to be like? Yeah. Uh, there's just there's just moments where I think in the clinches he's actually quite good, which I would not have picked. I'd yeah. have picked him to be an outside. Um, well, mid. the beauty is he's both, isn't he? Uh, yeah. What I'm seeing is is he can be both, and, and that's and for a kid, he's what nineteen? Yeah, just turned nineteen. 19. Yeah. Just turned nineteen, right? To be willing to be in the middle of the big boys, right? And they are big boys. And Chuck put him in the... In the middle. In the inside middle. Exactly right. Because... and But for 19 and a, and a slight frame, a ridiculously attractive slight frame, but a slight frame, he finds... And he wants to be in there. You see him yeah. moving and ducking and diving and trying to get the ball out and getting smashed. Congratulations, Archie, mate. You're well and truly endearing yourself to the club. Yeah. I guess the only thing I reckon midweek the coaches, you know what the coaches are going to do? Just going to work on his tackling technique because uh, he had a few moments where few, few he, should have, he should have wrapped up 
a couple of guys just with a you know clinging the arm or but he actually just put his arm around the waist yeah, yeah, and yeah. let their arms free yeah um and so it actually they still could easily get the handball off yeah, and it, put him next to Waller. Um, put so, him next to Waller. Yeah, so get, let, him, let Waller show him I'm how not, it's done. Obviously, he's just doing. I need to. It's um, that, but that's you, you can't just. You gotta, that's going to happen. You've got to yeah. remember that, man. Yeah. That Perkins is who we look at the last two games and go, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." That's who Dodoro saw, and you look at that. But you got to keep in mind, he's 19 years old, man. Remember what you were doing at 19 years old? Scott and I sure as hell were not playing in GWS um, in Sydney, having to tackle blokes that are 26 and 27 year old, fully grown AFL ready bodied men. So yeah, Matt, a big, big, big fan of um, Archie's game and his first sausage roll, yeah. if you don't mind. Look, I don't really have too many to talk on, but I have to talk about Red Dog, Redman. Uh, yes. 23... Again, a goal from our back. This is becoming a weekly thing. And the, the real weird sort of double horn celebration going <laughs> yeah. on. Oh, I like it. I love his passion. I love – he is truly back to the old Redman. Absolutely. And there's nothing can make me happier because he is he is really running the lines well. Yep. Um, uh, probably t- there's a few moments defensively I think he can get a little bit better at um, with, with the high ball. I just noticed a few things. Yeah. Um, but still, overall, his spirit and his, and his movement is well and truly back. Yep. And, as, and, you know, I could not be more happier for him. Quick, quick one, Jaden Laverde. Just a quick one. I mean, he's an utter revelation. Um, mm. we, I tell you what, here's a bit of inside info for you, uh, for the listeners. Um, we were sitting there just, I don't know, I'll say this quickly, but it sounds it's far more impressive in my head. So at the live show yesterday, we're just sitting down talking to Dustin Fletcher. And just throw that name in. Did you hear that? Bang! That was the bit the name being dropped. Um, just talking to Dustin Fletcher, and he I, we were saying, mate, what? How's Laverde? Just as a as a, a switch to the back line, and I and I said to Dustin, I, I I assume playing in the back line of an AFL football club is just not. That easy, right? You got a lot to learn. And he goes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I said, and Jaden's just picked it up and he's running with it. And he goes, Well, interesting about that. When he was young, Dustin's father used to coach Jaden Laverde, who played in the back line and said that he dominated games of football down there. So Ken Fraser's always been <laughs> not Ken Fraser. Um <laughs> Ken Fraser. Why don't I say Ken Fraser? Um, Dustin's father. Um, was always a massive fan of putting Laverde in the back line. And sound like he had a few messages to the club recently. About, and just and what, well, what, to, sounds like he had a few messages to Wusher saying, why, "Why aren't you playing this?" That's guy in exactly the back line? right. So it was interesting, right? That he he's dominated. He used to do that sort of. And Dustin mentioned that a bit like Francis did when he was a when he was a kid playing. Um, he used to. They called Francis the, the Great Wall of Francis, right? Because nothing could get past the kid um, in yeah. playing in the back line, and. Um, they've always been wondering why Laverde hasn't been playing in the back line. So just another another shout out to Jaden. And I think I think it's funny you mentioned that name. I think Laverde and uh, Francis are both kind of in. In I know Francis played back, but as far as they're both really shining this yes. year. Yes, um, yes, yes. And Francis for me, and I tweeted this out even from our um, lunchtime catch up um, Twitter account. His body language is what's the key this year. It is. You know, it is one as a guy who's peed off. He's very determined, very uh, desperate, um, sprint. Uh, effort. Effort. Massive effort. And it's so good to see because it, it was what 
He's like, I'll be honest, it's what was missing from his game. Um, he had very laconic to the point of kind yeah. of looking like he didn't care. But now it's now it's real intensity, uh, and I can't be more happier for him. I, I think he's having a, definitely a, a mini breakout year, and it's and long the same. We're the better club for it. Oh, 100%. He's still only played 40 games or so, so he's going to, I still think he'll improve. Even with experience, oh, hundred. I mean, we're agree. talking about Parish having a breakout year, and he, we celebrated his hundredth game. Yep. And so yeah. that, that's the thing. The same with Francis. That one of the two real main elements that I can see in Francis and Parish is that just their week in, week out manic energy is just incredible. Like, and I wonder how long they can keep the, the keep it up, right? But Fran, uh, uh, Parish comes out looking like a whirly bird. He's flying through packs and just more energy than every other person on the on the ground. And then um, Francis, who's, I mean, he probably would say I'm doing it okay, but he he doesn't hasn't presented as a run with. Um, defender for his entire career. He's a sort of across the pack, taken marks kind of defender. But he's been given tasks. He's been mm. given good key forwards to run with, and he's doing it really well. And if he makes a mistake or something doesn't go his way, just keep an eye on Francis. He is filthy with himself. Yeah, yeah. That kind of intensity and that kind of just unhappy with an average performance is really encouraging to see from that kid. Yeah. Hey, look. Uh one final thought yep. uh, before we go to the Dustin Fletcher live interview we did yesterday, uh, which will be after the break. I have to say this. 30 seconds to go. Carl Hooker, one, does enough to mark it. Two, gets hit the hit in the head. And I've got to call it out. I'm and like, arms. I'm like, and arms. It's like, sorry, that's a free kick and a mark. And you can have that debate. That's my personal view. We did that play really, really well. Nick Hine, I thought, delivered it out in front. I thought Hooksy did enough to mark it, and then I thought it was a free kick. And, you know, people might say, oh, but it's going to be Hooksy kicking the goal. Don't, don't care. Hooksy, in the last 30 seconds of a game, normally kicks a goal. He's done yes. his whole career. Like, under pressure, Hooksy's very, very good. Yep. I would have actually semi-backed him for the goal because he somehow has these moments where – when it's thirty seconds to go, he kicks the goal. Yeah. So we we don't we don't it's pile a big, in. It's a big moment uh, that was lost for the club uh, that could have easily got us over the line. And that we don't pile into the umpires particularly much on this show, like the, but the obvious mistakes like that. Yeah. And I and don't they, care. Were, they were they were really hot the whole game on anything yes. with interference and marking. Absolutely. Like Ridley got called a number of times and like that wasn't even there. Like it was like and we hardly even honest. touched him. Yeah. But that but when you get like chopped arm, slammed in the head and you've also marked it, you're like, come on, like I know. This, and, and this you is just want to be man. consistent, right? It's like in the last two minutes of a game, the umpires put the bloody whistle away because they don't want the whistle to because the, the the instead of the um the headline being umpires missed the mark, uh, missed the free kick, and then everybody moves on to the next game, and it's forgotten about by next Saturday, right? Mm. If they, if the headline was the umpires call influenced the game and go, he'd probably get in trouble or something. They just put the whistle well, away and yeah. they forget about it. I don't it. think he would if you saw the replay. <laughs> well, no, that's the thing. Like the, it's the the ones that really annoy me are the obvious ones, the yeah. really obvious ones. If it's not, maybe kind of, I don't know. But if you look at it, man, he got his, he got punched in the head. That then went down to his arms and knocked his arms away after he'd marked the ball, no less, <laughs> and then hit the deck and the bloke followed over. Like, it's 
It's very obvious. It's bloody annoying. And I can assure you, yesterday at the live event, there was a lot of people <laughs> telling the umpire exactly what they thought about that. Which <laughs> including was us. Including us at all, yeah. Yes. Anyway, uh, speaking of the live event, so yesterday, uh, we obviously, we had our live event. Brilliant atmosphere. Uh, before the game, uh, we got old... We got our good friend Dustin Fletcher on. Uh, we can say that now. We can say um, that because he's yep personal friend, friend of, now, friend of the show. Yep. Um, and we think it was around about a 30, 35 minute interview. Lots of laughs, lots of fun. He's um, a great bloke, man. <laughs> and look, I, I do want to say this because in case anyone asks, so I reached out to Fletcher during the week, and we had quite a few back and forth. And, and I mentioned topics about what we wanted to discuss, and I, I did say, hey. Um, would you want me, you know, I was trying to be respectful. Would you, go, would you want me to stay clear of the saga stuff? He said, no, no, bring it on, bring it on, ask me anything. So we did ask him a, a one or two questions on the saga, but I just wanted to give you that heads up that if that discussion had be ha- has was had with mm-hmm. Fletcher, we weren't being insensitive at all. He knew it was coming and he, he to be honest, he said, bring it on, you know, yeah. I'll talk about it. Yeah. So, uh, That's the kind of bloke he is, seriously. Uh, so, yeah, so just to give you some context, it was a it was a ripping uh, interview, ripping moment for the both myself and Grant. Oh, it's, so. it's, it's great stuff for me and Scotty. So you, we'll, we'll go to that now. So sit back and enjoy Dustin Fletcher live on the show. We have to welcome the legend, the 400-game legend of this great club, Mr. Dustin Fletcher. Thank you, Dustin. You did a Chicago Bulls entry. Just some quick, just some quick stats about um, Dustin. 400 games. Let that sink in for a moment. 123 games missed. 23 suspension because he probably whacked someone. Um, he played along, this is insane, he played along a hundred, alongside 166 teammates. 19 million people watched Dustin play over 23 years. 234 wins, 164 losses, but we won't do more about them. Five draws, played at 14 different AFL grounds, eight or more one percenters in games 73 times. Uh, had eight or more defensive 50 rebounds 83 times, and that's still an AFL record. And has played um, 12 players, and this is hilarious, 12 players in Dustin's 400th game were not born when he played his first game. <laughs> <laughs> so a massive thank you, Fletch, for, for joining us today. Thank you very much. No, no worries. <laughs> Good to be here. Funny, isn't it, that with the stats, though, you could... Uh, I didn't even know most of those, but um, <laughs> makes me out like not a bad player, so um, it's good to hear them. You, you went all right, Dutch. Dutch you went all right. Now, yeah, we did actually did a, uh, a countdown to... Um, uh, I don't know if people saw when they on YouTube or audio when we did the top ten player of the 90s and 2000s. And so Fletch came third, not to be controversy, uh, in the 90s and third in the in the noughties, 2010. Sorry. Who, who was ahead of him, Scotty? We had was Hurdy and Hurdy and Lloyd. Um, was it Lloyd? Mm. Tough call. Tough. tough call. It was a tough call. The goal, the goal kickers always get the the glory, don't they? Doesn't it? The forwards always get the money. The yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> 
Well, Lloydie yeah. and um, and Herdy are out in Turak and Brighton, and I'm still <laughs> over in the west. I'm still over That's in the western suburbs too. So um, absolutely, something's not gone right there. <laughs> Especially when you've had Plugger, Dunstall, Kernahan and all that just landing on top of you. Yeah, there are a few early days, and um, obviously Ablett and, you know, probably Ablett, uh, Lockett and Dunstall were the, probably the big three that um, I tried to play on early days, but um, no doubt the greatest full forwards nearly of all time. Yeah, and one question I wanted to ask you before we get to some of the ones we prepared, was Plugger just big? Like, was he, he was mobile for a big unit, but was that his number one sort of... Yeah. Issue on the bloke that he was massive. He was big. You just got to ask where to go up and name a Brad Fox who played number oh, yeah. six for Essendon. Yeah. I think one day out at Waverley was before my time, thank God. Plugger got him in a headlock and actually put him to sleep, I think. So, um, yeah, he wasn't the nicest sort of guy going around. I would have liked to play on him now. He's probably lost about 50 kilos if, you, he's if you've seen him now, um, lately. But he didn't say too much to me. He, um, he played the game hard. He threw me over the fence in Sydney and another time he landed on my wrist and broke my wrist. So, um, but just a good, strong heart. If he had been on the Eston side, you would have been uh, cheering him every day of the week. Now, I, one of the actually questions I'll ask, and I'll go straight to it, that game in Sydney where he threw you over the bench, now that's not, that's not a funny event, even though it visually looks kind of funny, sorry. Funny. Um, <laughs> the funny part is, is which teenagers in the crowd were sledging you as Sydney Swans fans back then. Yeah, they were. So, you know, I was chasing the ball out and cut a long story short, Lockett got outside the 50, so he got a bit... Uh, he wasn't happy about it, so he gave me an almighty shove. And the boundaries were quite close. The SCG, Richardson had done his knee, and they're only, you know, so far back. So I ended up going over the fence, and um, obviously the uh, Sydney supporters were into me. They were cheering and actually cut my head on, a, on someone's... Uh, Someone's uh, stubby and it was, it was not great, but um, I did hear a bit of heckling from a couple of younger kids and I think at the time they would have been 15 and 13 or 16 and 14 and, um, um, you know, I just took it on the chin, got back, you know, went out and played and some three years later we drafted a kid by the name of Mark McVeigh. And um, he gold. said to me, do you remember that game up in Sydney? And I said, yes, plug a three over the fence. And he said, yes. He goes, if you look at the vision, I was two seats back. And me and my brother, which is Jared, obviously the Sydney captain, were big Sydney supporters. And uh, his old man, Tony, and, um, and they were into me. So it was Mark <laughs> McVeigh and Jared McVeigh. And then teammates, and I'm good friends with Mark, obviously now. Yeah, so I played a fair bit of footy with him. Nice. So if we go back to you being 17 years old, we all know the story. Um, you get named on your bench. So Sheed says, I'm going to pick you. You get named on the bench. Can you talk about what that week is? And, and I'm pretty sure you actually started first bounce in the ruck, even though not on the bench. Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't even expect to be playing senior footy that year. I was going to play reserves footy in 1993. I was going to play school football, and I would have got 16 games of football. That was going to be my year. So when Sheed rang up late on a Thursday night, I think he'd been in match committee. Um, he rang me up about midnight. He did. I was in bed. I had school the next day. So um, <laughs> mum answered and, um, and he basically said, You're gonna, we're going to play you this week, we're going to start you on the bench, um, we'll bring you on to the half forward line, half back line and as Sheeds did, we got into the game, did all the you know, pre-game stuff and um, I was about to run out and I had the old new brick tracksuit top on, I was right at the back of the pack and um, he sort of waved me down the race, he waved me down, I just thought he was going to say good luck, you know, get in there, have yeah. fun. And he said, um, we, we, we're going to start you in the ruck. Um, Paul, Paul Salmon's going full forward and, um, and you're starting in the ruck. So, um, yeah, I nearly shit myself with, uh, <laughs> with, uh, with that. I was rucking against Justin Madden and Justin Madden was obviously a f familiar name. He would have been all elbows. And, and, yeah. and obviously Simon Madden was a fantastic player as well for the Bombers. So... 
But um, yeah, it didn't last too long in the Did ruck. Did you get the hit out? I actually got the hit out. I hit it straight <laughs> to um, Greg Williams. I think he, he handballed to Craig Bradley. Craig Bradley hit Stephen Kernahan up. Goal. Cut and got a goal. And, uh, yeah, and I never, never played ruck. ruck again, so I was absolutely wrapped. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, speaking of sheets, um, how is he? Co- how is he to you personally? And like, there's there's a lot of stories you hear from the ex-players and the like about he's an eccentric dude, obviously, right? How was he with you personally? Like, did he? How did he treat you when you were younger? And how did it sort of change as you got older? Yeah, oh, personally, I was fantastic with sheets. I'd obviously dad was around the club for a long time, so I'd known sheets. You know, I was only quite young, but um, I always had that little bit of a relationship with him as a kid. Um, you know, and even when I first got there at 17, a lot of people wouldn't go into his office and sit and have a chat with him, whereas I used to go in there and have a chat and I didn't understand a lot of things he, uh, he was saying to me, but, um, but he, was, he was tremendous to me. Not many coaches out there would have put a skinny 17-year-old kid in at 79 kilos in the ruck and then at full back. So um, I've got a lot, a lot to thank with, uh, you know, for Kevin for what he did. Yeah, absolutely. One of the... Um, one of the this is a bit of an obscure moment. I'll see if you remember it. There's a game where she'd said, you're going to be on Phil Matera. And, and it was kind of like when it started, everyone's like, what the heck? You know, Phil Matera actually probably was leading goal kicker at West Coast. Do you remember that week? What led up to that decision for you to be on Phil Matera? And then yeah. how do you play on a bloke that small? Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, because I remember she's on the Monday night. He said, you're, gonna, you're not playing on... So you're going to um, start on Matera this week, not on Sumich. And I thought... I think Matera was uh, leading the goal kicking. Um, Sumich had been playing okay, but he was going to put me on Matera. So I probably just went with the odds of, you know, obviously me being sort of six foot five um, and Matera being quite small, just basically keeping him in front of me. And um, obviously the benefit was when West Coast were kicking the ball into the forward line, if they saw my, I wouldn't say a big frame in front of uh, Matera, but if they saw sort of me, you know, they wouldn't kick it there. So um, I went with that theory and I was always quite quick, so I could sort of keep up. And um, I think it sort of it went all right that, that day, and I played all right. So I started on playing a few small on a few smalls. But uh, did you make a rod for your own back there a little bit, doing well? Yeah, <laughs> I was I smalls. Stephen Milne and Eddie Betts and a few of these guys as well. But I actually preferred playing on the. I didn't mind playing on the smaller guys, but that was just Sheeds, wasn't it? He was a different one, and and I remember and you guys probably remember 1996 that game we lost to the Swans by a point up in um, up yeah. in Sydney in that yeah. prelim. And this is the type of guy that Sheeds was. I never heard, that was probably the worst, I never heard Sheeds go off after a game at the players. And we had a few injuries, Matthew Lloyd, and there was four or five injuries, quite severe injuries that day. And that was no excuse, because I think we're three goals up with about six minutes, seven minutes to play. And I remember coming off the ground, and Sheeds actually never really did it, but he went through every player um, and basically tore strips off them, said, you know, Fletcher, you have, should have been in front, you should have spoiled, and it was a bit worse than what he sort of said there. But, um, <laughs> and he went to, um, I was sitting next to Steve Alessio, and he said to Steve Alessio, mate, you're in the ruck, you're ducking your head, you didn't get your knee up, bloody disgraceful, rah, rah, rah. And he went through every player. And um, Seth turned to me at the end of it, and he said, mate, he goes, can you believe the spray I copped? I said, oh, mate, I copped one too. You know what I mean? And um, the worst bit was, Sess actually didn't even play. He was actually in emergency that day. <laughs> Are you serious? He, had the, um, he actually ran out to warm up and had the tracksuit top on. So she's got confused that, uh, that Big Sess was, was actually playing. But, uh, and he caught the worst spray of all time. So, um, yeah, probably a little bit unfair, but... Uh, <laughs> But you could was, probably call that a smidge unfair yeah, for but, but that was Sheeds. He was, a, he was an absolute <laughs> legend. He loves people. He loves the Essendon Footy Club. He's a real pos- he was a real positive coach. And, um, and I'm very thankful that I got, he coached me for, 
I think, 285 games. Now, mate, the AFL, things have changed dramatically since you first started playing AFL, and especially sort of in the technology area. Um, over 23 years, how did you see sort of technology change with with how it was applied to the players and the like. I look at your, your jumper there and there's a, little, there's a little bit of tape on it for the GPS and the like. Is that something you took a lot of notice of or is it just something that the, the, the club did to, to understand the players a bit better? Yeah, obviously with, that was a big one. That was the biggest, you know, the GPS with the technology and not only that, just these jumpers. That, it was a worn jumper but they used to make you aware these jumpers that were that tight. You know, if you had a little bit of puppy fat on you, around your stomach, that, you know, you could <laughs> actually, you could actually yeah. see it because they didn't want you getting tackled and being able to be grabbed. But um, I probably learned early days, um, you know, when I first started, there was something like, I think, 25 cameras at the, at the footy and you could see all around the ground. And by the end of my career, there was something like 65 cameras. So Jeez. you're never going to get away with any of these little um, stupid things that I did. But... Probably the biggest one I was, and it was the GPS. I remember when, I think it was under Nida came to the club, and I never wore a GPS. She's, he didn't even, oh, he told me to wear it, and I'd throw it in my locker and tell him the battery was flat, I'll wear it next week. So <laughs> he wasn't too fast as long as I got a kick. And when Nida came to the club, he said, I don't care if you played 300 or whatever you've played, you'll be wearing GPSs. I said, no worries. I said, whack it in the jumper and I'll, and I'll be fine and we had to do a massive session in the pre-season and we had to do a 15 kilometres on the track on the Friday and it was quite warm and um, if we got 15 kilometres out um, he was going to give us a weekend off so any player who did the 15 k's weekend off and my um, endurance wasn't great I was usually trained obviously in the back line or at full back and we got about three quarters of the way through the session and I had a bit of a look at the computer on Crowey's computer and sort of had a look how many Ks I'd done. I hadn't done too many Ks, so I knew I was in <laughs> trouble. And it was luckily that I was friends with Stance. I give Stance a bit of a wink and a bit of a nod. And Did you chuck I, your I finger on his... Get, get my <laughs> GPS across and, and give him mine. And he... And we, no, we did a, a, a swap. <laughs> and I actually looked at Stance's results when we went over it just before the last one started. And it ended with um, me, you know, full back trying to run up and down the ground to get the Ks up. And Stance was a midfielder who could run all day. Anyway, we went and looked after the session finished and um, I looked at my results and I miraculously had gone from... When I first looked at my results, I was actually on 10 kilometres, so I'd done 10. I needed to do 5Ks for this last drill. And Stance had got me from 10, 10 kilometres to 16.4. <laughs> so Stance had gone and got me 6.4 kilometres in the last drill to get me over the mark. And um, when I got Stance's GPS in my jumper, because I'd looked on the... Uh, on the screen before we started that last drill. Stance was actually on 14.8. And I got Stance from 14.8 to 15.2. <laughs> so uh, I'd got him 400 metres and um, Stance had got, uh, got me over 6Ks. So, uh, but I knew it was probably time to give it up when I was starting to do things like that. But, but mate, uh, that's just smart. But that was that's just smart. That's that how you get to 400 games, mate. That's exactly But can you imagine the... That would have been a funny thing. Hey, Stance. Mate, I'm not getting that 15, and I really want the weekend off. Yeah. Can you give us yours? You're going to do it easy. Yeah. Give us yours, and I'll have one. Yeah. I got a few phone calls the next day because we had to drive up. I remember it clearly because it was, uh, I think it might have been Heno's birth, Aaron Henneman, who lived up, up, up the Murray River, and we were driving up there on a the Saturday morning for his birthday, and um, the blokes who didn't get the 15Ks were in there doing a session at the footy club, so uh, you can imagine a few of the calls <laughs> I got up when I was having a few beers at 11 o'clock on the way up to... 
up to Corowa, but uh, did Justin Crow sort of go, "Damn, Fletch, good session. You, yeah, you Crow- nailed that." Crowy sort of looked at me, and I thought he, I think Crowy was on that something wasn't right. But <laughs> when he looked at the results, I'd done you know sixteen point whatever at kilometres. Okay, so, uh, it's, it's what the computer says. Can't can't say no. Yeah, so that was uh, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, well done. Can you talk us through um, one of the kind of, I guess, painful moments for you? Uh, is in West Coast, so you're with your front teeth. Uh, can you talk us through that and 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 what had happened actually after the game? Yeah, so I think oh, I remember it clear as day. McDougal, I think his name was West Coast. I think he went to the Bulldogs for a few years, but I just I wore a mouth guard every game I played. Obviously, I had braces as a kid, so Mum used to make me wear uh, wear the mouth guard, which was fine. I that, I didn't have a problem with it. But this particular day, I went up for a mark or I went to spoil and. For some stupid reason, I actually had my mouth open and um, McDougal's elbow just got me flush as you could get it right in the middle of my um, front teeth. And I remember getting hit and um, I remember Reedy was the first one that came out and there were two, there were two teeth um, stuck in my mouth guard and there was three actually on the, on the oh, ground. Um, so Reedy actually said to me, he said, oh, your teeth have been knocked out. And I said, oh, fuck, I think I know that because yeah. I could put my tongue straight <laughs> through my... Uh, <laughs> And, um, and I said, there's, uh, the, he said, there's five gone, I think. Um, we've got two of them. You know, you'll have to come off, blood rule. And I went off. And then Ian Reynolds, <laughs> our other doctor, it happened right on the 50-metre line. So he actually picked up where it was. And um, I came off with Doc Reed. Uh, rubber ran straight back on. And, and believe it or not, he managed to find the other three teeth on, on the ground. So he's found the other three teeth. The two are in my mouth guard. So we've got them. Um, old killers gone and whacked them in some milk. You know, they reckon if you yeah, get yeah, teeth yeah, knocked yeah. out, you yep. put them in milk. I thought that was crap, but uh, <laughs> but so they did that. Um, I actually ended up going back on the ground. Um, with no front teeth. With no front teeth. Um, I think it was the third quarter, and we were down by about two goals, and um, I went back on. I had my mouth guard in. I'm not sure why I had it in, but um, <laughs> I put my mouth guard back in, and um, I, I think I played the next sort of about 15 minutes, and I ended up coming off in the last quarter. Um, we were getting done by about five or six goals by that stage and we actually, in the last quarter, we got a knock on the back of the, um, the race and I was lucky enough to get, um, it was the, foot, the, um, the, Western, the West Coast Eagles um, orthodontist just by chance knocked on the back of our race and said, do you need some help? <laughs> so um, I sort of nodded my head and said, yep, where are we going? How can we get them fixed? So um, we, we quickly walked across. He had a surgery across the road from Subiaco. Um, he put me under, I didn't put me under, he put a few, put my, my teeth back in for a start. So he sort of pushed them and Jeez. hit them back in. Um, he put some braces on me um, straight after the game and then I got the flight back. I think I got on the on the red eye too, so I managed to get back back into Melbourne with braces on and, and my teeth back in. But the worst bit was actually my gum. My gum was actually cracked, like oh. the gum, which which wasn't because it felt a little bit little bit off. But um, yeah, but that was that uh, worst injury I've copped. I've still got those teeth now, um, <laughs> but um, but they're no good. I'd say I can't even. Even dr- probably shouldn't be drinking. It's only just coke. You drink a coke and the sugar gets in there and. It's no good, but um, I've got to get them fixed. I can't believe they put you back on, Fletch, with no front teeth. Oh, no, yeah, I'm not sure. That probably was Sheeds. Mate, well, I was I'll, blame Sheeds. <laughs> I'll blame Sheeds for that one. Well, we that hard up. Could someone not have covered you, mate, for the rest of the game? Oh, I'm not sure who was back there at that stage, but, um, yeah, it wasn't great. But Bloody hell, Sheeds. That's, okay. footy. that's footy for you. Mate, um, obvious question to ask. Um, who's the best player you played with at the, cl- at the for, for your 400 games? Best player I play with is, you know, it's, it's probably number one in your, is James Hurd. Not for the fact that he, you know, he kicked those great goals and was a great centre-half forward, but for me, for, for me it was just the way he put his head over the footy and when we needed someone to go, 
Um, he was a bit of the Wayne Carey type of player, wasn't he? Like North Melbourne relied on Wayne Carey, and I think we relied on Hurdy to sometimes just do it himself. And um, and he did that, and um, there's no doubt he was he was my number one. Is it because I've often wondered? I've I remember Scotty when Michael Voss first sort of was doing okay in Brizzy. I remember Scott saying to me, you should check this bloke out from Brisbane, Voss, he's, he can go, this kid, right? And, I, and it was Brisbane, I wasn't watching Brisbane games and that sort of stuff. Um, when I sort of made myself watch a few Brisbane games, it looked like Voss had, um, had one more gear than most AFL footballers. Would I be right in saying that Hurdy had an extra gear, that thing that separates him from being a very good footballer to being like an elite footballer? And w- when the moments arise that require someone to impact it, uh, like a stoppage or something like that, those players with an extra gear have the ability to do that? Yeah, I can tell you what it is. I reckon I know what it is. And, and you're right, what you say. There's not too many people at footy clubs. Oh, there is. There's probably... Oh, there's probably more than one or two, but there's not too many... You know, if you put yourself in this situation where you're by yourself, you're injured, you've got to go and do an hour bike session or whatever it might be, there's not too many guys that would go in and absolutely flog themselves on the bike to the stage where they're, you know, they can't give any more. I know I certainly didn't, you know, if I go into a bike session, I do half an hour warm-up and I do 15 minutes tough and the 15 minutes warm down, I wouldn't go as hard. And, and James Heard was a type of bloke that could flog himself at training. No, okay. no matter, if it was in the pool, he'd be doing the same thing. If it was out in the track, he could do it. And I don't think there's too many guys, or there's probably a few more these days, but um, I think he knew he could go to that extra level okay. and it was through hard work that, um, that he got there. And it's, you hear that a lot from from everybody like I, I'm a big fan of Kobe Bryant and every now that he's not with us anymore you hear a lot of people talking about him that when they say he was the first in in the gym and the last to leave and he did more work than everybody else that allowed him to be as prepared as he humanly could be would that be like Hurdy like he just he he would not be outworked by anybody yeah that, that's exactly right and I could go back to the you know the GPS story you know if Hurdy wasn't around at the time I think he'd retired um, by that stage but if Hurdy was wearing that GPS and he had to get 15 kilometres, Hurdy would have done it by you know, half time of that training session just to know that he got the 15 k's out. He'd do some stupid running just to get himself there. So that was the type of um, the person he was. He could dig deep when he had to yeah. and um, at any stage he, he knew he could do it. Yeah, that's great. A couple of, can I ask a couple of questions? Um, what was Hurdy also like as a coach uh, and your relationship with him today? Yep. So I, th- I think Hurdy would have been a great coach. Um, I think there are a couple of results there that uh, that show that um, you know the players really played for for James Hurd. Obviously, due to obviously you know circumstances through the Asada and and that that we probably didn't get to see him as a as a reasonable as as that uh, really good coach. I think it, it's he probably won't admit it, but I think he's, there's a bit of sheets in obviously in um, in James Hurd as coach. But um, me personally, got a great relationship with Hurdy. Um, you know, I was probably never his best, best mate. I'd go over there and, you know, drink a red wine and, and go to his house and, you know, type of that. But, you know, I was always yep. a, a, a good friend of James Hurd. So when he got appointed uh, coach, um, probably from more an individual sense, um, I was absolutely wrapped because I probably felt like my training when he did get the job as coach that I probably went to a little bit more of a level because I didn't, I didn't want to put James Hurd under pressure. Um, that he might be the person to drop me in the reserves. So um, I made sure that I worked a lot harder during that pre-season um, and trained a fair bit harder under James Hurd. Yeah, great, man. Can, can I ask, great. sorry, just one more. Um, I know we're talking about Hurdy, but obviously you and uh, some very close friends went through 
a bad experience and from 2013 onwards. Uh, can I ask two questions? Where are you at today with thinking about the saga? Um, and I'm going to ask this with a little bit of attitude. Does it still find, do you still find it unbelievable that you yourself in that whole period never got tested once for any drugs, yet you got, pre- got proven guilty? Yeah, and yeah, well, it's a simple, simple way you put it. I think there were eight players in that 34 that weren't actually drug tested during, during that period, 2011 through 2012, and that was just by chance with the AFL. Our names didn't get pulled out of the hat or however they did it, so... You know, I'm not sure how you can, um, you know, get suspended and, you know, and that four years of, of pretty tough, tough times. And, and not only that, there was not one positive test through all the tests that were done on the other players. So that's as simple as, as why I put it. I think, you know, the footy club, obviously, we did make mistakes. There's no doubt mistakes were made. Um, I think the AFL definitely, definitely made mistakes. And um, I think Asada or WADA... Um, yeah, if you sort of knew... If you knew the full story, you... You just wonder how they, yeah. How and and, they then, and, with, and again, we're going to move on from that there. But in words of very few syllable, is there still stuff that people don't know? Yeah, there's no doubt there's stuff that people don't know. And obviously you haven't heard from Stephen, from Danksy or, or the weapon a little bit. So there's definitely a lot of things that people don't know. Um, you know, do and they come out now? Why would you bring them and out that's, now? And that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's always interesting. Like, you, I don't know if Essendon supporters, you've probably drawn a line under it, um, and you've got exciting young kids, and we're sitting here celebrating 400 games of footy, and that's great. But it's, it's always just interesting to know that the players know that there's extra information that's not out there, and everybody's got to know that Asada and Wada just... They, they're slightly dodged. But it's, it's interesting <laughs> to know that the players, and that's was the other half of, I think, Scotty's question is, have the players, and from yourself and from the other guys, have you managed to move on from it? Yeah, oh, you have to ask every one of the 34. Everyone's got a different, yeah. uh, different feeling about it. But, yeah, I have, and it's probably for the fact that, um, how do you explain it? Just, you know, it, it's just wrecked footy for, for that period of time. And yeah. it was tough on the players, but it was tough on the supporters. You know, Essendon supporters were going to games every week and, copying it in the crowd just like just like we were so we were thankful for what the supporters stood up for and and how and how they were well and truly behind us through mm. the whole time you know what I mean so I've got a lot of um you know thanks for the supporters just through that little period you know what I yeah. mean I think you know we wouldn't have got through without you know their support and um but no doubt it was the toughest period through my career I wasn't enjoying footy during that time um I grew up playing footy because I loved it and um, all I wanted to do was compete on, a, on an even level and um, I still felt like I was doing that but um, for then, for it to go on for four, four odd years and yes. I look drag up, out, it was tough. I, I remember um, 2000, oh, when, what year was it, Feisty? So Feisty, the lady over there, came to me and, and said, you know, we should, we should think about doing a, a fan march uh, from, the, from Federation Square to the G and... And then um, we kind of ran with it. We talked to the club, and and as everyone remembers now, <laughs> there was like fifteen thousand people marching. And and look, I I felt like the spirit of the day was a little bit of the fans giving those thirty four guys a clear message of what of hundred percent support that that we just um, and there's frustration behind it because we we felt. You guys were of high character and, and should not be 
branded of what you're branded. Um, but for me, the way you guys and the 34 men carried yourself through that period when you had confidentiality broken, everything thrown at you that should not have happened, the way Job and, and yourself and those guys... The senior, I, I, especially I, the senior guys. I still class that in a weird way as some of the finest men that's ever worn the sash. Yeah, and you feel sorry for everyone, really, but, and there's different stories. You know, Job was a captain of the footy club and, you know, people say, well, why did Job speak all the time? But the reason Job spoke all the time, yes, he was captain, but Job's quite articulate and quite a smart guy, so we didn't want to get out the front of the cameras and say something that could affect the result or could be, you know, taken the wrong way. So there was pressure on Job and no doubt with his brown lull, it was tough on him and, and his family and then... He looked at another one, another guy that um, actually left the club after it was Stuart Cramery, or Crammers. Crammers, uh, you know, decided to leave after, which was fine. We didn't have a problem with him going on, but he went to the Western Bulldogs, and um, that next year, obviously, he was suspended, like the, uh, the rest of the 34 players was, and the Bulldogs went on to win that premiership. Yeah. And, um, you know, you think, you know, you speak about my, my, my situation, Job's situation... Yeah. You know, Crammers could probably look back on it. It's, it's probably cost him a premiership. A premiership yeah. and Crammers didn't play much footy after that sort of saga. He went to Geelong for a while and I think he's now up in Miriborough. So, you know, a premiership player is a big thing and, um, mm. and he didn't get the chance to do that. Well, on a much brighter note, Fletch, how have you been seeing the journey so far for the 2021 Bombers? No, I've enjoyed it. Um, you know, even last week's probably was a big example of what the seasons look like. I don't like Carlton, but um, no one likes Carlton. we did uh, <laughs> we did lose to Carlton. But I thought the the boys played all right, and we we did see we're starting to see some things now that supporters and even you know the members can really look at and um, and and really be happy with. So I think it's going to be. Um, I know we're on. It's a podcast. We're on record. I still think it's going to be a tough year. I think it's going to be one step forward, maybe a couple yeah, back yeah. as the season goes on. The young players get a little bit uh, a little bit tired but um, I can see some things that um, the Brett uh, that sorry that Rutten's doing quite well and um, and the players seem to be on the one page with a lot yeah, of those things can I ask uh, just source about Zach Reed he's wearing your number um, have you had an opportunity to, to chat to him and, and and is it kind of exciting to have uh, a 202 centimeter kind of playing your position wing number 31 who you know Mark Harvey I know has said even after the Carlton game, this kid still could be the best player out of the young crop. Yeah, it is. Um, Zach Reed, I haven't actually met Zach Reed, um, believe it or not, even though he's got the 31, that's probably a little bit by chance, but he actually texts me where to pass players, jumper presentation, we pass yep. the jumpers on, and he texts me in the week saying, could you present my jumper? And I said, no worries, um, I'll come up and do it, I'd love to. And then he texts me about a couple of days later, and the reserves game was on at the exact same time as, as when the presentation okay. was on. And so Zach had to play in the reserves that particular day. But um, And then he, I think he got his first game against Brisbane. Obviously, um, I didn't obviously go up to Brisbane. Um, yeah, but I'm wrapped to see the 31 out there. Um, he's obviously he's a bit crook at the moment, I think, but um, yeah. hopefully he gets a good run at it in the last, yeah. the last half of the year. But six foot... I don't know, he's probably taller than me, I think, isn't he? I think, he I think he's your weight in the, when you're 17. I think he's got yeah. the same size. Oh, he's got no excuse. I've played nine, <laughs> 17 games in a premiership. I was, was going to ask that. Like, have you stood next to Nick Cox? Like, have you been... Because I think everybody said it ad nauseum that he's freakishly talented for a bloke that tall, right? Running around, balking blokes and takes some marks and stuff. Is... Have you seen Nick, have you been up close to Nick? Because he looks like a unicorn kind of footballer to be as tall as you, key position tall, but running around in the midfield. Um, again, I haven't actually met um, young Cox either. I've just, 
I'm only up at the footy club once in a while, and I do a lot of off-field stuff. I don't do anything with the with the coaching, so yep. I haven't actually uh, met him either, which I'll, I'd like to do one day. But but you know, for instance, um, you speak about two-kilometer runs, and my best time around a two k was probably about seven minutes fifteen. It was pretty average. It was near the back end of the field, and. And he can run a five, I'm guessing here, but he, he probably could run about a 5.45, 2K run. And not only that, he can kick his left foot, you know, 60 metres, he can kick his right foot 60 metres. So we've got a good one there, there's no doubt about that. And um, we'll see him grow to be a, a very, very good player for the footy yeah, club. I agree. Cincinnati Bearcats, how is uh, Mason going? Um, he's going well. It's, what have we got there now? It's about 10.30 on a Friday night. Um, he's probably having a few drinks and, uh, and enjoying himself after uh, a big week of training. But um, is he dropping big barrels? Is, yeah, he, is he showing them how to kick barrels? Yeah, he's loving it. He's he's over there now, and um, he got over in uh, pretty late in the end through the COVID period. He got over there in December. Um, believe it or not, he's put on thirteen kilos in um, in about in the, in the right spots. In the right <laughs> in spots. The right spots yeah, good. in the right spots. So, but going really, really well. Loving it. Um, you know, obviously not too many people know him over there, so he just lives a, a normal life over there. And, um, you know, there's 90-odd people in the footy, um, footy squad, so uh, there's a fair few guys in the footy squad. But I'm um, absolutely loving it. Had a really dream run. Um, red and black, he's got the number 31, so um, nice. he's, he's still got the 31 going and, and he's kicking some barrels. So he's, uh, he's probably living the dream in a way. Absolutely, because I was just thinking, it's, it's, they love the fact that Aussie players know how to kick a football, but it would be a lot to learn for him. Like, there's a, you've got to do it differently, and it's about the hang time, and it's not about sort of pinpoint hitting people with kicks and stuff. Um, how's he? How's he going learning the the different ball and the and the way to yeah. use it? Yeah, there's probably more to it than you think, really. Um, yeah, they do a lot of study. They train hard. Like he's up most mornings. It's sort of pre-season there at the moment, so he's up. You know, half past five. The Americans like to get him up early into the weights and flog him in the weights, and then he's obviously got college to do after that. And he's back there at um, at Nippet Stadium at you know sort of two o'clock, you know, till five o'clock. So he's um, he's probably too tired to do a lot of things, but um, but absolutely loving it. Um, he's got a lot to learn still. He's probably at the moment going through a period where he's going to try and kick the other punters out of the side. There's obviously three punters at um, at Cincinnati, and um, and we'll see how he goes doing that, but. He's going well. He's he's got a he's got a good leg on him. Um, you know he's pretty switched on. He's a bit older now. He's twenty twenty one now. So he's um, well, hopefully he's maturing and um, and he's going really well. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Well, mate, should we wrap it up, Scotty? Yeah, yeah this is uh, look at this has been awesome. So um, uh, Dustin, a uh, huge thanks. Can I just quickly ask which team did you hate the most when you're playing? <laughs> I actually hated North Melbourne. Really? Really? Yeah. I just think it was obviously they were neighbours, you know, obviously neighbouring suburbs and Sheeds had a fair bit of, you know, a bit of the old marshmallow game and Wayne Carey obviously was a pretty good player and, um, yeah, I hated North Melbourne and probably still do, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Can I I quickly ask what's your most memorable game uh, outside of a grand final? I think it was probably the comeback game. I think um, probably the prelim final as as well. That when against Adelaide, that was probably one of them. But that comeback game against North Melbourne was a massive game. To see the scoreline of sixty nine points down. Yeah, it was one hundred and seventy nine to one hundred and fifty eight in the end, and to come back from sixty odd points down was 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 a was a special one. So the, and the Anzac Day game with Zaharakis two thousand and nine was it? That's awesome. The um, jeez, that's probably the other one that really sticks out in in my mind. Yep, nice. 
Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. Now then. What an interview. Mate, that's that's highlights. That's We've been doing this for what, three years? Close to, yeah. Four years or whatever it is. Um, that's going to be one of the, the highlights of the whole, every show we've ever done, 128 odd shows plus a hell of a lot of Patreon shows. Um, that's going to be close to my highlight. Um, just sitting next to and talking to a bloke like you've known him for 25 years and it's Dustin Fletcher, 400 plus games, first ballot all-star, all-star, first ballot um, Hall of Fame AFL legend straight in. Um, massive thank you again. I know you're a listener, Dustin. Um, massive, <laughs> massive thank you to Dustin Fletcher. Yeah, yeah, I think he did say he'll listen to this show. So. Yeah, well, that will be so, great. Yeah, big thanks to Dustin. Um, look, uh, thanks to everyone. Look, it's been a very. This is a very long show now, so we'll wrap things up. Uh, obviously, we've got Fremantle, uh, the one ten Sunday game at Marvel. I think, if I'm right, we all get our member seats again, yes. so uh, we get to sit where big we normally sit. Yay! Um, so look, and the AFL has kind of teased that they might bring back the Thursday. Uh, team night show. So if that happens in the next couple of weeks, then obviously we'll do our Patreon shows yep. um, on the team announcement back onto the Thursday nights, which would be much better for us. Patreon.com.au uh, forward slash the lunchtime catch up podcast. If you want to check out us on Patreon, we do two extra shows a week um, for the princely sum of three bucks a month as a minimum charge on that. Um, three bucks a month. Come and join us over at the Patreon um, crew. We do, like I said, two extra shows. You can get in touch with Scotty and I. We can bang on about footy if you like. Um, it's a great community and we love those Patreon guys. Yeah, and if you're a Patreon, just as please excuse, this is the first time we haven't done really uh, 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 instant reaction shows, mainly because my studio was uh, all locked up. Yes. Because <laughs> we had to bring it to the uh, event yesterday. So yep. um, it wasn't set up in our studio uh, overnight. So please excuse that. Uh, we wanted to do a quick main show today. Yeah, um, absolutely. So uh, look... Let's go beat Fremantle, boys. Um, yeah, get a good rest into them. Get a nice day, eight-day break. I think Nick Cox is on that verge of getting a, a week's break or, yeah. or close to. Cause I, and he's earned it. Yeah, yeah, he's earned it big time. So uh, look forward to the game. We'll be definitely be there. Uh and that's about it for us. Yeah, that's about it for us. A massive thank you to everybody again, again who came yesterday for our live show. Um, it was a it was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, we hope to maybe do one again soon at some stage. But uh, apart from that, next week we're going to pump the Fremantle doctors. Doctors, get <laughs> doctors. the doctors, the Fremantle doctors. <laughs> <laughs> for all the people in Perth are listening to this and you're, and you're a doctor in Fremantle, my apologies. Um, but, yeah, we'll pump the Freo dockers uh, next week and we hope to see you guys at the game. All right, catch you guys. Go Bye. Bombers. Bye.